welcome to another episode of the Beef Bits Podcast. I'm Dr. Jeff Limcooler, Extension Beef Cattle Specialist at the University of Kentucky. Through the Beef Bits Podcast, we will share current news, management tips, new research, and other issues related to beef cattle production. I'll be joined by various guests to bring different views and insights on beef cattle topics. I hope you will follow or subscribe to the Beef Bits Podcast and find the information useful. Welcome to another episode of the Beef Bits Podcast. Today, I'm joined by uh, colleagues, uh, Lynn Harden and uh, Brian Jeffers, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Eastern Kentucky Hay Contest that has gotten quite a bit of publicity this year. Lindell, Brian, uh, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, Lindell and Brian, why don't we start off with, uh, give us a little bit of background. Um, how long have you been in extension here in Kentucky? Me personally, I started April 10th of 1990. Uh, so uh, just about 31, going on 31 years is coming April. Fantastic. And Brian, how about you? I came in uh, August 1st of 96 and I've been in Johnson County that entire time. So a little over 24 years now. Wow, that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, collectively, we've got uh, over seventy-five years of extension uh, experience here in this group. So, um, with with your time being in extension, um, uh, this Eastern Kentucky Hay Contest seems to have been uh, something that continues to grow. Interest continues to expand each year. Why don't we take a few minutes and discuss a little bit about the history of the Eastern Kentucky hay contest, how it got its start and, um, you know, how it evolved to where it is today. All right. Well, I'll start because I was actually around when it started. And I think Brian came in, it, it had been there one year, I believe, uh, when Brian started. But I was actually the agent in Leslie County then, a member of the Mountain Cattlemen's Association. And the producers in Eastern Kentucky, the forage producer, were not happy with the quality of the forages they were producing. So uh, the agents from the counties that belong to the Mountain Cattlemen and the Highlands Cattlemen got together with uh, forage specialist David Ditch back then and formed the East Kentucky uh, Cattle, Brian, what was the name of it? The East Kentucky Beef Cattle Council. Yeah, there you go, the Beef Cattle Council. And that first year in 1995 that samples were taken and analyzed, uh, I think there was right about 70, give or take, uh, samples submitted that first year. And then uh, over the years, other cattle association cattlemen associations were added starting with the northeast now you've got the foothills and and so on and so forth and then the county associations have begun to join now so brian how many counties roughly or maybe you know exactly how many counties participated this year in the program as we were planning we were hovering around 20 and i think it ended up being uh, was it 18 we had 18 counties that submitted samples this year. Uh, and that that ranges all the way from counties along the Ohio border, down along the West Virginia border and the Virginia border and on into the more interior parts of, of eastern Kentucky. You know, it, a lot of what 
set this thing off, I think, was that we face very different growing conditions over here. A lot of our farmers are, uh, if they're in bottom fields along creeks, they get very short hours of sunlight each day. And then others are on the reclaimed strip mine land, which is up at a higher elevation, but thinner soils, a lot of rock, poor drainage. So they were looking for what they needed to try to reinforce the quality of their forages because they just couldn't go to a field day in central Kentucky and go back and implement those practices. We needed to kind of adjust things based on our local conditions. Lyndall, you were given some indication that the numbers um, of counties might have even been a little more. Was it 25? No, there was, uh, I, I think in the final count, there were 16 that actually submitted samples. Uh, we had thought there was going to be more and there was a couple of counties that wound up not submitting. That's pretty impressive in a year with COVID that has limited our ability maybe to get out and, and uh, have that face-to-face -to, -face to go ahead and, and all of you pulled together to get 16 counties to participate. That's impressive. Yeah, and I think what's even more impressive, like I said, that first year, I think we started out with around 70 samples. And I believe this year we had 624 total samples pulled in. And on top of that, the county ag agents, the county agents are the ones that, according to the rules of the contest, have to pull every sample. Wow, that is impressive that y'all get out there and beat the bushes and pull all those samples in. So, so the program historically then started in 95 and um, it has grown to 600 and some samples in that time frame. What about the history of, well, let's just back up. The, the history of the program was to get folks a little bit more knowledge on the hay quality that they're producing. So, so this is a contest, but what is the quote unquote competition? How are you uh, looking at these hay samples that you all are collecting? Is it based on visual and looking at, is it green or has it been weathered? Is it moldy? Tell us a little bit about what the quality contest is. Well, that basically we're just, well, let me start out. When we first started in 95, the Kentucky Department of Ag was running our samples and they ran all of them through 2018. And they were doing it free because we, from the onset of this contest, it has never cost any producer that's had their hay tested a single penny. In 19, last year, the Princeton uh, Research Center, uh, Chris Toich down there, we switched over and they are doing the testing now. So the, again, the whole point was to increase the nutritional value of the hay and for us to be able to say, you know, all right, this, this is why soil testing is important. This is why proper storage is important and that type stuff. And Brian, I know, I think what I've seen over the years is that from a contest standpoint, a lot of my producers that initially were interested in winning ribbons or whatever, they have, that's not the motivating factor for the majority of my people anymore. They could 
almost care less about that ribbon. They want to know what the value of their forage is. Do you yeah, agree? Absolutely. Yeah, we've fought, kind of fought that battle along the way. We don't want people hung up on bringing us out into the farm and saying, you know, what's your very best cutting from your best field? That's what we want to sample. That's what we want in the contest. When we submit a sample, they have the option to leave it out of the contest and just get the forage analysis. Uh, and so we try to emphasize that. But at the same time, you know, we do want people to have that friendly competition. There's a, a little bit of bragging rights going on. Uh, we have a traveling trophy for uh, the association that uh, has the winning sample or has the best overall score. So that's helpful too. But yeah, you, you mentioned soil testing is kind of an analogy to that. Uh, we try to tell people, if you just go out there, bale hay and feed it, you're, you're doing the same thing as going out there and just buying a blank bag of fertilizer and throwing it on your field. You have no idea what it brings to the table, what it does for the field. And so uh, you wouldn't do that any more than you should go out there with, with hay that you know nothing about. So uh, we know what our goals are when we do these rations. We know the type of animal, the weight, uh, the desired daily gain and all that. But we can't achieve that if we're just guessing at what's in the hay. And so for our people to have the right information to to get their uh, ideal ration put together, they've got to do hay testing. And uh, it started out, as, as you said, with the state, they had two mobile labs. They would come down there to quicksand for a couple of days and do them. Uh, and then they eliminated one and, and the burden just became too much. And that's where uh, the Princeton staff worked with us and Dr. Toitch stepped in to make this thing happen because it, it carries so much value for our producers. And Jeff, I, I did want to say, I didn't want to uh, sound like a politician. You had asked about the contest and I sort of got off and I didn't want to sound like I was going to answer your question with my answer, no matter what you asked. But uh, as far as the competition, the, the scores that are assigned to each sample are a combination of the crude protein and the relative feed value. Those are added together, and that number is that sample score. And as far as the competition, uh, that score is the final number. Whoever has the highest score is the winner. And like Brian said, there are two plaques. One of them we call the traveling trophy, even though it's not a trophy, it's actually a plaque. But uh, And these two go around to the counties who had the winners. The first plaque that ha has been in circulation uh, ever since the contest started has the name and the county of the highest scoring uh, individual who had the highest sample on it. The second one came into play uh, eight or 10 years or so ago and the concern or the comments were, you know, well, you've got some counties that are only pulling five samples and somebody thinks they're going out and cherry picking the highest ones and they're getting their name on the plaque and putting it out. So a second plaque was brought into play that the 10 highest samples from each county are averaged together and whoever has the highest average gets the second plaque. If a county does not submit at least 10 samples, they are not eligible for that county award, if you will. Okay, that's that's a really good move. And uh, I, I'm assuming there is a little bit of county pride and competitiveness over there. I think it, it at least for us, my observation, and Brian chime in here, but it seems like 
the longer a county is in it, it's almost like the less the competition is important uh, as compared to the uh, results and the information. But when a new association comes in about their second or third year, they start getting very competitive and they want to win more. And after they're in it for five, eight, 10, 12 years, that it seems like the, the competitiveness falls away and they just want the information. That's that's interesting to see, see that. And that's what we hope, right? Is that the, the educational program becomes a value. I was going to say, do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, the awards are just a nice little carrot to, to drum up some interest. But uh, once people start to get the rations back and they can see some results out there and what they're uh, putting on the trailer to go to market, I think they start to come around to the, the real value of it. And I think a lot of it too is that when they see the variability across cuttings, across fields, across seasons, across species, varieties, and so forth, they see that they're not just coming in there with the same old thing every year because, you know, they generally, everybody pretty well agrees first cutting stuff is best, but I don't think they're seeing how many other variables are in play. And so the results help them really capture more information about how uh, the crop can evolve from year to year and, and across other variables. So, so that's interesting. Um, you, you have varying soil conditions, varying elevations. Um, you know, you've got bottoms that are kind of heavily shaded during a lot of the day, but then we haven't even talked about the variation in forage species or forages that may be produced. Um, so what are some of the common forage types that you might see, or what are some of the categories that these hays would be uh, gone into when you think about the awards program and some of that? A lot of, uh, for my guys and gals, it's a lot of uh, orchard grass and clover mixes. Um, you know, we've, we've tried to promote alfalfa. We just don't have the deep soils for that. Uh, it's kind of a challenge to get the micronutrients, uh, especially things like boron. You know, we we have limitations on the avail availability of inputs because we don't have the overall size ag economy to support a really broad based farm store. You know, it's a lot of smaller operations, but but we've pushed alfalfa the best we could. And, and I know Lindell has had some up in his area uh, a few years and uh, but, you know, heavily on the orchard grass and clover and then a lot of the uh, Cerisa lespediza. Uh, a lot of people sort of look down their noses on that particular species because uh, it, I think they kind of look at it as the poor man's alfalfa, but dollars to donuts, it performs very well on these reclaimed strip jobs, uh, which basically have had the soil pulled away, you know, rock broken up and then kind of reclaimed in a semi field like condition. And so the Cerisa Lespediza is a good performer and we, we have a good number of people doing summer annual forages now. And also, Jeff, I would say in the contest, it's actually broken down into hay and haylage or baleage or whatever you want to uh, term you want to use on it. And even within those two broad categories, uh, the samples are submitted either as straight grass or a grass legume mix or straight alfalfa and alfalfa legume mix, uh, summer annual. Uh, and even for the haylage uh, section, there is uh, a area for small grain because we see people that uh, grain production is not large in our area, 
but we do have people that grow their five, eight, 10 acres of corn. So they'll throw some wheat out over winter. And then in the spring where they're needing to harvest that wheat before it, the seed becomes viable, they're going in and making haylage out of it. And I know Brian uh, has got a producer now that about, I'm wanting to say three or four years ago, uh, grew some sorghum Sudan, got good results back from it. And now, Brian, I don't know if they're growing much dry hay or not. They're doing almost all wrapped hay, aren't they? As far as what they produce, yeah, they're very heavily uh, invested in the uh, in the haylage. Uh, they're buying a fair amount of dry hay, but as far as what they produce, yeah, and uh, so they're getting you know about uh, quite a few acres. You know, overall percentage of their production is in the haylage, and you know it's it's definitely got a steep learning curve. But uh, this is a couple who've got a lot of years of farming experience. And uh, they've sought out a lot of good advice and, and, you know, they've learned a few things along the way. But overall, they've been really pleased with it. And it has kind of squeezed out a lot of their dry hay production. And I think they've probably been in this contest almost since it first started. Yeah, I remember having to get very meticulous directions to their house when I was brand new on the job and had absolutely no idea where they were when I went out there to collect samples. They have definitely been in on, on the ground floor with it all the way. So, so make sure I understand um, your awards are given out to the best alfalfa or is it, how, how do you categorize your awards exactly? Each, each of those categories I've mentioned, alfalfa or alfalfa uh, grass, straight grass, grass legume, small grains, whatever. Each one of those categories, the top three producer scores on those are awarded a ribbon, uh, red, white, or blue. And then overall, the top scoring individual is given a, a large purple ribbon and their name goes on a plaque. That's fantastic. How, how many of your producers do you think are using that hay uh, quality analysis for marketing purposes to help market hay? I know I've got some to do because they, if you walk into their hay barn, they have got those results nailed up or stuck up on the, the board there as you walk in the door and uh, they tell, you know, when somebody comes in to buy hay and they're talking about it, they can pull that down and said, you know, here's the results on it. Now, you know, in years that their hay may not test as good, those samples results may not be there, but <laughs> when they test good, you can bet they are definitely using that. You see that, Brian? Yeah, and the Department of Agriculture website, I believe, allows you to upload results or at least to input the information from those. So as that networks across the state, then that information is right there for the buyer. Uh, and I've heard stories about people with wrapped hay that were using a color-coded spray paint system to mark their bales and make it you know, easy as they had buyers come on site uh, to know which was which, you know, one mark for first cutting and so forth. And to have that, that they can reach to that buyer uh, is a big help. We've also had a lot of bought hay that came in and got tested too, so that people could find out if their uh, powers to assess hay were very good or if they may have gotten may have gotten ripped off a little bit. And I will say that hay that has been 
bought and brought in and tested, it's not eligible for the contest. Any of the, the competition, you have to grow it. Now you can still have the bought hay tested, like Brian said, so you know what you've got, but it's it's some of the non-competition results. Okay. So what do producers have to pay for entries into the contest? Zero. No. When we switched over last year and went through Dr. Toich, we did start to incur some other expenses. Now, doing the pro the uh, samples through KDA, they were $10 a piece, which sounds a little steep compared to $8 soil samples that we do in my county. But that included at that time they would come to the farm and collect the sample right there. So it was a good deal. But they even waived that when they came and did the hay contest. But as we transitioned into working with Princeton on there, then there's a, a specialized lab bag that they have to use and then there's always a lot of upkeep on these grinders that we use to grind up the samples there are belts that break there are teeth that break there are motors that overheat and then uh, dr toich has to pay some uh, for use of for access to that forage lab that does the analyses for him so uh, we have taken a uh, about a hundred dollar donation from each of the counties that has participated and we've uh, started a, a fund dr henning is operating on campus to allocate some money for that type of material in the future. I think we came out pretty well on that this year. Uh, we have a few little minor repairs to make and then they're called whirl bags, little plastic bags that these samples go in. But I think we had quite a few of those left over. So the idea is to make this at no cost to the producer. County Farm Bureaus are sponsoring, agents are using their programming funds, whatever uh, they can come up with. But you know, a hundred bucks or so per county, even if we have to repeat that next year, is is really easy for everybody to make and it keeps it accessible for the farmers who really need that information. Yeah, that's fantastic. And and, and a nice way to get some local sponsorship to um, kind of help those uh, producers out to see what they're getting back in hay quality. That's that's a fantastic little incentive. So so walk us through this process. So we, we already talked about that the agents go out and, and collect these samples. So um, they're going to a farm, finding the hay, but uh, am I sampling all the hay and just mixing it together or, or kind of walk us through the process of once a farmer calls you and says that they want to be in the contest, what you all do as agents and working together from getting the hay sample to getting the results back? Well, basically when they contact us today, you know, we'd like for you to come out and pull a sample. Uh, we'll set a, you know, a day and a time and we show up and we've got our, for the most part, cordless drills and Brian can attest, you've got several batteries with you because some of those days you're pulling many, many samples and it'll go through the batteries. And then we take the samples, the way I take the samples uh, for my producers is I tell them we want to take a sample of each cutting from each field. So we may have Brian's bottom and we get to take the sample from the first cutting and the second cutting. And if they got it, the third cutting. And then we move on to the, the hill behind the house. We'll take the first cutting and the second cutting and the third cutting. So that's six samples right there. And like Brian had said earlier, it is really showing the difference between the number of cuttings on a particular field and the difference between the fields where they're growing them to. So Lyndall and Brian, are you all taking and quote unquote cherry picking the best bale off of that field for each cutting or field? 
Sometimes they want us to, but we don't, you know, our goal, and this is, again, gets back to where we try not to let them get too hung up on the contest part of it. Uh, the, the idea is let's measure the impact on the herd. So what are you really feeding out there? And so we want to sample across multiple bales within each of those cuttings and try to get a representative sample just as we do with soil sampling or anything else. We want to try to get a complete profile of what we have. And once we get those and then we have a, a form we complete, we uh, put them in a plastic bag and uh, then they move off to the lab uh, down at Quicksand. Uh, from there, we transfer. We had some of the agents who volunteered to go down there and transfer those into paper bags. And then there has to be a label for each step of the way. You had a label for the form. You had a label for the plastic bag on the farm. You had a label for the paper bag that goes into the forage dryer in Lexington for four or five days. And then from there, it comes back and gets ground up and put into a, a little plastic, the, the world bag that I mentioned, with another label. So we had to create a really robust tracking system. And we didn't really realize until this year when we took that on ourselves, how much that was creating in terms of work for the specialists and their staff and so forth. But when you're talking about moving 600 and something samples uh, from bag to bag and place to place, it was a lot. And so uh, we stepped in and we had to we had to locate weatherproof labels and put numbers on each one, the same number. Uh, in Kentucky, we use a three-digit number to identify each county in our soil lab. So we just carried that over to use with this and then numbered those samples consecutively. And so everybody just made sure they sort of kept that chain of custody intact. Uh, and we had to have those heat-resistant labels so they could survive the dryer. We didn't want the glue to melt and all the labels to fall off. That would have been a nightmare. And then from there, they went on to the the soil or to the forage lab at Princeton and, and the results started working their way back in. And Jeff, I will tell you the way I do it are a lot of my farmers are repeat, but every year I get new people that want samples done. But when I walk into a barn or a hay shed and I'll say, all right, where, what have we got here? And they want to tell you about it all. And, but the ones that have done it, we'll walk in the barn and said, all right, the first cutting starts here and it goes to here. And then they just sort of step back and I'll crawl up on top of the hay, walk down the side of it and take various samples from different places. Uh, we don't let them say, now you really need to test this bale. No, it doesn't work like that. Uh, for those of us that's been doing it a while, like I say, they say, all right, this is first cutting. Some of them will have markers on it, you know, colored tape or something. And then we choose the bales that we are sampling so that it is truly random. Yeah, that's that's good. And 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 that way you don't have an area in a field that was heavy in clover, as an example, that may test a little better. That's the representative sample. So this too. I've got a producer that lives in Boyd County, but he actually farms over in uh, southern Ohio. So every year he will throw uh, six or eight uh, square bales in the back of his truck and bring to my parking lot for me to sample. I take the samples, but those are not entered into the contest because, you know, he could very well, as you said, cherry pick the best ones he's had, but it's, he, he understands that's not doing him any good feeding on the farm and, where it's actually grown out of state, it's not entered into the competition anyway. 
Oh, that's good. Yeah. You mentioned, um, or Brian might have mentioned, I don't remember, but a, a filling out a form to keep track of um, things. What kind of information are you guys collecting on the form? Well, we're starting with the forage class. And as Lindell mentioned, you know, you've got your straight legume, your uh, legume grass mixes, straight grass and so forth. We put that on there. Uh, we need an identifier for the farmer to make sure that we can link all this together because this gets put into a spreadsheet uh, that's merged into one big one that uh, is used on campus. Um, and we encourage people to use uh, word names rather than just say field one, field two, because I'm not going to remember 15 people's different field one, field two. Uh, so we give them a unique name. And as Linda was describing, you know, hillside, whatever. Uh, if they want a ration completed with it, then they will also tell us their animal type, uh, their concentrate type, their supplement type, uh, the average weight of the animals at the time of feeding and the desired daily gain that they're shooting for. And, and that's basically it. Uh, it rolls everything together. And so those that need a, a ration done uh, can do that. We are doing all three major species. You know, for years we had kind of done exclusively cattle, but we do have a lot of hobby horse owners. We do have a lot of goat farms. And so uh, we now have a different form available for each. It's got the same basic information on the front and then the different species is on the back. And then once those come back, those are directed to the appropriate specialist. Uh, and of course, Dr. Limcore, you do our beef ones. And then Bob Coleman does them for equine. And uh, Ken Andrews does those for goats. And they work through all those different samples to get the information back. But the form is real quick to fill out. Um, we just get that basic information, their contact, the name, so forth, and then the ration information if desired. And so, so Lindell, the, um, the form kind of continues to evolve over time um, and, and you're collecting different information. Has, has that been um, a bit of a challenge for agents? I mean, it seems like there's quite a bit of information or is it pretty streamlined? Well, the basic information has pretty much stayed the same from the onset, but when we started offering to balance the rations, it got a little more complicated. But actually what we found starting this year, like Brian said, we he printed off labels for each county, multiple labels with the same number on it. Each county has a number, and th then you've got a sample number, and that goes off on the different bags, the sheets and whatever. This year, when we brought in the forms that we had filled out in the field, uh, personally, I gave mine to one of my uh, secretaries and she entered it all into a spreadsheet and that paper form had no place after that because all the information was on the spreadsheet. So it is getting more complicated, but not for the farmer, because basically they tell us their name, the field and what it is, and then the rest of it's on us. And that another reason that it is uh, evolving and getting more detailed is where our numbers have started increasing so much. And I know, uh, Jeff, you can speak to this, the number of rations to be balanced over the last four or five years have just exploded because people are wanting that information so the more information you want the more detailed that uh, entry form has to be yeah it, it it gets a bit overwhelming with all the information coming in on that spreadsheet 
there's a lot of information in there. And, you know, yesterday I was trying to get everything out to you all on the rations for the feeder calves. And, you know, when you got so many columns of data and you're trying to sift and sort it, it's easy to screw up a sort and get everything out of whack. I did that twice yesterday, but it, it is also very beneficial from us as specialists to see what quality the forage is and what weather may have impacted forage quality from year to year and, and what we may be needing to prepare for as we move into the winter. So it's, it has a huge value to us as well um, as we go through and look at that data. So, so I think that the program is, is certainly a, a huge asset and I, I really, um, you know, think about the, the impact that it has locally, but um, it does have an impact across the state even because we can monitor what that quality does uh, in your area and think about how that might be similar across the state. But let's, I would like to just kind of think now as, as you get these samples all processed and you get the, the forage quality results back, um, how do you take that then and, and move it into the awards program after you've scored the relative uh, forage value and the crude protein? Do you all have a, normally, do you have an awards ceremony um, where everybody comes together or are they taking it back to their county cattlemen's association meetings or regional cattlemen's association meetings and making presentations there? Well, it's sort of uh, in the past, of course, 2020, I guess you got to sort of throw it out because it is just so different. But in the past, in September, it started out originally in September, we would have a big uh, on-farm meeting field day educational program. And then at the end of it, all of the ribbons and the awards were passed out. If the winners weren't there, then the agents from their counties would get all the results and their ribbons and take back and disperse them at it, you know, go around and visit with the farmers and explain the uh, results and that type of stuff and give them any ribbons. And every other year we would do it at the, uh, what I still call the quicksand field day. But as our weather and climate has changed, we are getting a lot more producers that are making that final cut later and later and later. This year, I know I had one person, they got four cuttings off of a, a mixed grass legume field, which is almost unheard of in our area. A lot of times because of the weather, they were lucky to get two. So we have actually moved the uh, col sample collecting date and the awards program is now in late October. Uh, of course, this year, everything was had to be done virtually and across the mail, but we've actually moved the sampling time frame forward almost six weeks. Wow. So, so the, um, the awards then are, are, are given out to the individuals are taken back and then that traveling trophy is awarded at, at that time. So um, does it go back with the producer or does it go on display at the county extension office or what happens to that traveling trophy? 
the top sample traveling trophy goes with the producer, but the uh, top association, am I getting that backwards, Lindell? Correct. No, they both go to the county office. So they go to the county agent um, and, and they take take it and display it? Absolutely, because a lot of people get to see it when it's in the display case or on the wall in the county extension office, especially if that's where you have cattlemen's meetings or educational programs. You know, it's there to sort of brag on. Yeah, yeah. So, Brian, um, ha has your county won it? No, we haven't. <laughs> we have not. Uh, but we've we've got some, you know, we get some good attention, I guess is the best you could say. But it's been all around the area here. Um, but, you know, our, I think our people are learning a lot from the program in general. I and mean, whether they get the bragging rights or not, they're still learning. Exactly. And, and Lindell, how about you? Have, have you hosted the uh, uh, the plaque in your office? Yeah, we, we've had it several times. Uh, when it was the Mountain Cattlemen and the, uh, well, and uh, the Northeastern uh, Association and the Highlands Association, we did pretty well. Now, as we've expanded and we've included the foothills and Lewis County's joined in and Bracken County and Fleming, uh, their terrain's a little bit different and their soils are a little bit different and they are producing a lot higher quality, I guess on average samples than we are. So it's not been here for a few years, but uh, we did okay back in the day. Sounds like it's a challenge to your producers to, to get back out there and uh, ramp up a little better quality forage. Now, we still bring home a ribbon every now and then, but uh, it, it's just hard for us to compete with those alfalfa and alfalfa mixed uh, samples that are sent in uh, because, as Brian said earlier, our soils typically, they just are not real conducive to growing that high-quality alfalfa. So, so the program, I mean, it, it, it truly reflects what extension is, what the extension agents are, are known for, in my opinion, as I've visited with you today. It's a competition or a contest really centered around education. Yes. You all have done a great job of, of doing that. And, and I think that it also, uh, Brian, you mentioned soil testing. That, that's one thing that comes into play. You all mentioned the adoption of annual forages that 20 years ago, nobody would have considered probably. And the technology of using uh, wrappers and, and putting up high moisture hay uh, is another technolo technological advance that's occurred. So I, I think that this is what you do, right? At the county level, you you take technology out to producers and, and try to see how it can fit their operation. And this is just one program that reflects that. Yeah, and I would say, too, one big thing that I've seen a change in, in my producers, is it used to be when we started this program, the middle of May, toward the end of May, 1st of June, that was the target date to get that first cutting of hay done because of the weather a lot of times and just because that was the way it's done it was always done that was the way they did it but i've got a lot of producers now 
they are shooting toward the last half of April to get that first cutting done because when they've been able to do it, they have seen the uh, difference in the quality analysis that's coming back from that. And they're thinking, whoa, you know, this hay is so much better. So they are really shooting for that. And like you were talking about the wrapping technology, a lot of them, if they can get in the field without damaging the soil and the structure of the field, but they can get it cut, even if it's drizzling or, or raining a little bit, they'll go ahead and do it and they'll wrap it to preserve that quality uh, over weighting. Yeah, we've found a lot of ways to integrate it with a lot of our other educational programming. As much as as big of a thing as it is, it's not a standalone. Like you mentioned, Jeff, there's uh, wrapping technology and varieties, soil testing. And so uh, we've even had uh, last year we had a program called Mountain Master Forager where we tried to pull a lot of these factors together and sort of make adjustments for our unique conditions here in eastern Kentucky. So you know, all these different issues pop up when they start to see hay quality and um we tie in various types of field days and everything with it. And so, uh, yeah, it, it's sort of a, it's a nice quantifiable result that we can connect to other lessons that we've provided to our, to our producers by way of the specialists. And I think too, even, even in the introduction of new, uh, species, uh, that we can successfully grow here, a lot of that could be attributed to this hay contest because when you had that first person that, brought in samples and had some sorghum sudan grass tested and they had cut it right it, it came back with real good results then you've got people in your county they're saying hey what was that stuff they were growing i've never grown that before is that something we can grow so now every year i've got people that are growing sorghum sudan grass or pearl millet uh this year i had one guy that grew a uh, stand of pearl millet with forage soybeans combined into it and you know so it, it's really expanded beyond just soil testing although that was important it, it sort of opened the door to a lot of other things too and and that is truly uh what we like to see i mean we like to see that um increased interest in changing management that can help the over i mean at the end of the day, it's about trying to improve the bottom line uh, on these producers, either reduction in purchase supplement by getting better quality hay or increasing tonnage of a high quality forage through more cuttings or different species or varieties. And it's showing clearly you guys are seeing that at the county level and it's showing the impact. So do you have a list of the award winners in front of you that... Um, uh, maybe you want to just mention a few of them or um, it was kind of a out of the blue question, but um, if you've got it, we certainly could acknowledge them. I don't have them in front of me, Brian, you may be able to pull up, but I do know that I believe the high individual was from Fleming County and the county high average for the county this year went to Bracken. If it opens here, I do believe I've got it. Let's see. Yeah, I've got him here. Uh, the top alfalfa hay was Todd Kleber from Bracken County, and his score was 189.8. Uh, 
then top alfalfa grass was Bill Brown from Fleming County at 184.1. Top mixed hay was Charles Grubb from Greenup County at 142.7. Top grass hay was Lester Brashear from Perry County at 141.4. Top summer annual was Tracy Kitchen from Elliott County at 93.1. Top alfalfa haylage was Jeff Zawadski from Menifee County at 169.8. Uh, top alfalfa grass haylage was Taylor Saunders from Robertson County at 218.9. Uh, top mixed haylage was Maryview Farms in Bracken County, 155.8. Top grass haylage, Taylor Saunders from Robertson County, 120.1. Uh, top small grain haylage, Maryview Farms again, Bracken County, 143.8. Top summer annual haylage, Tracy Kitchen, Elliott County, 111.9. And the overall champion high score was Taylor Saunders from Robertson County with that alfalfa grass haylage that rang in at 218.9. Top high county was uh, was Bracken County with 154.8 across all their samples. I apologize to Robertson. I said Fleming. it, It was Robertson. Yeah, and you know they're and that's that's getting up along those Ohio River counties where they have a lot of really good deep soils, and those guys are doing a great job, and their agents are steering them along to some really good quality stuff. And Jeff, I would say too, I know to most people that are listening to this, those numbers are just numbers, but uh, the protein on those samples that we get in annually, they're going to range anywhere from four percent up to usually into the mid 20s, 24, 25, on some of those real good uh, alfalfa things. But the bulk of that number comes from the relative feed value. And as you know, the relative feed value, 100 is based on full bloom alfalfa. So you have got some of these things, their relative feed value is almost double a full bloom alfalfa. Yeah, that's some pretty high quality, what we would maybe consider dairy quality forage right there. And I would say, too, that I know, and I'm sure Brian has done the same thing. Another thing that has come out of this from the educational side is that we have tried to impress upon our farmers that when you have got a hay that is testing, you know, 18 percent and it's got a relative feed value of 150 uh, percent that does not need to be fed to dry cows in in you know December that needs to go to your growing stock that needs that nutrition your poorer quality stuff that six percent protein and has got a eighty percent RFV that can go to your dry cows and they will do just fine on those so it, it's really uh, that's another reason that the farmers are really breaking it down to the field and the cutting so they can sort of depart- compartmentalize what hay they need to uh, feed to what class of uh, stock on their farm. And they often get surprised at where that cutting comes from. Uh, if you get a lot of spring rain and your first cutting is over mature, it's real stemmy and uh, not as vegetative, then it's going to drop down a little bit. And so yeah, all that information really helps them make the right decision about what to feed where. Yeah, and it, it allows us to develop some strategic supplement programs for them for those different classes of livestock and 
try to really capitalize on the investment they've made in their forage production and maximize the return on that investment. Well, gentlemen, I appreciate you joining me today. This has been a great session to cover the Eastern Kentucky Hay Contest and a little bit of history and, and how that information is utilized in extension programs to, to help our beef cattle and equine and small ruminant folks uh, think about improving their forage production as well as cutting costs uh, through supplement purchases. So I, I appreciate you joining me today. Is there any last uh, words of wisdom that you'd like to share before we end the day? I would just say that if you're in this eastern part of the state and you are not participating in this contest, contact your county agent and get in on it next year. Like say it costs you nothing to do. Yeah, and it takes the information a lot beyond the visual appraisal and, and your assumptions about which cutting, which field are best. That's, that's some great advice. Is there a ceiling? Do you all see a ceiling that uh, you're going to get to the point that maybe you just can't handle so many samples and it's going to have to be first come, first serve? Well, that was discussed a little bit this summer, and we're, we're not expanding beyond our current geographic area. So far, we are okay on the total number of samples that we have in, but we've had interest from counties further west, and, and you know, there just has to be a limit in, in that because that starts to create the potential for some really astronomical numbers. I mean, this thing is rolling out five and six times the number of samples that it did just a few years ago already. So uh, we're trying to throttle it a little bit um, and not get too carried away. But, you know, there, it begs the question, if there's that kind of need out there, what might we do to expand the state's capability to address that and provide that information for people? Uh, we hate to turn people away. If this, value, if this information is so valuable, we hate to make anybody feel like they can't get it. So uh, maybe there will be resources along the way, some funding or something that can make that a, a reality for other areas. You know, and I would say, too, uh, again, with the, the people listening to this, if you're not in our area and you think this is a good idea, there is no reason this couldn't be replicated at different areas across the state, you know, and if they go in and talk to their uh, county agent and said, hey, we need to look at doing this in our area, though, you know, they're free to call any of us. We'd be more than happy to talk to them and, and tell them what we're doing. And I would love to see that happen because, because my guess is if other areas started doing it, they're going to find ways to improve what we're doing to, to help. And I'd like to get that feedback. That's a great point. And, and at the end of the day as well, even if there's not a replicated contest, they can still work with their county agent and get their forge tested and sent to a commercial lab and get those um, forge quality results back to help use and budgeting and, and making the rations a little bit better for those different livestock. Well, gentlemen, I appreciate your time today. This has been a great session, a lot of good information shared. And um, again, uh, this has been the Beef Bits podcast. I'm Jeff Limpcooler, and I was joined today by Lyndall and Brian, and I thank both of you for your time. And uh, we encourage all of you to reach out uh, to your county agent to think about getting your forage tested for quality and um, just contact your county extension office and ask for your ag and natural resource agent and they can help get you uh, set up to get samples collected. 
This has been Jeff Limkuhler with the Beef Bits Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to receiving feedback. We hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and continue to hear more information regarding beef cattle production, industry news, and programs going on in the Commonwealth. <laughs>